Section 3 of A History of the Earthquake and Fire in San Francisco by Frank Aiken and Edward Hilton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Greg Giordano. Chapter 3 The Fault Line. We do not have to go far afield to find what sort of thing this earthquake was which thus shook san francisco probably never before has an earthquake occurred which left so clear a record for it wrote its own story for some two hundred miles in the indelible characters of its power on the earth itself while not ranking among notable earthquakes in severity it is almost unique in the opportunities it affords for scientific study of the causes of earthquakes nothing as certain is known coming as they do from the impenetrable depths of the earth without premonition they defy study except through their effects some earthquakes seem to be caused by volcanic activity and others have no apparent connection with volcanoes these latter the San Francisco earthquake among them, occur in conjunction with tremendous earth movements along fault lines, indicating a sudden change of position in the rock masses below. It is now generally believed, among scientists, that such shifting is the cause of nearly all earthquakes. Sometimes, as in the Charleston earthquake of 1886, this shifting takes place miles underground and no surface displacement is caused. In other cases, however, the shifting of the rock masses is nearer the surface and is communicated to the soft overlying soil, with the result that a fault line, or rift, appears, as in California last April. Perhaps a homely illustration will explain what the scientists mean by faults and fault lines. If an arch of masonry be unevenly loaded, and then subjected to a severe sudden strain, by the fall of an adjacent building, or by earthquake, or by an explosion within its walls, its keystone is very likely to move out of position somewhat, sliding along on the adjoining stones. So, with the rocky masses forming the earth's surface, according to the geologists, these rock masses, merging into more plastic matter many miles below the surface, are split and cracked here and there on the surface by long fissures, extending in some cases for hundreds of miles. These cracks are known as faults, and occur most frequently between rocks of different character. The rock masses are thus similar, in a way, to the stones in an arch. In the Earth's formative period, whole mountain ranges were made by the uplifting of the rock on one side of such faults above that on the other but now such movements are trivial ones a few feet more or less and are felt as earthquakes what the ultimate cause of such movements is can only be a matter of speculation it has been suggested that the seeping of water through the faults either from the surface or from the oceans to the molten masses of the earth's interior causes explosions but the view generally accepted is that these slight shiftings 
are the result of changes brought about by the slow contraction of the earth in its gradual cooling, that as the earth cools and its crust shrinks, strains are produced and the weak places slip, just as, when a house is shaken by a storm, the plaster cracks in the old cracks that have been patched. These faults are the weak places, the old cracks. Volcanoes are sometimes called safety valves. The faults, similarly, may be considered slip joints, where the earth's minor adjustments are made. The Pacific coast, from Alaska to South America, is, geologically speaking, a weak place of this sort. As a result, earthquakes are frequent. Very severe shocks have been experienced in Alaska, Mexico, Central America, Colombia, and Ecuador since 1899. The California coast has had no severe shock between 1868 and 1906. Professor F. Omori, head of the Department of Seismology of the University of Tokyo, an inventor of the Omori seismograph, is regarded as the greatest living authority on earthquakes. He spent two months in California, studying the fault, embodying his conclusions and deductions in a report for the Japanese government. As to the causes of earthquakes, he says, The very ultimate causes of great earthquakes are probably to be traced to the cooling and contraction of the earth, and, to some degree, the change of the distribution of the matter constituting the land and ocean bottom. The more immediate cause of such earthquakes is, however, frequently the activity of mountain-making forces which produce fracturing, etc., along an extended zone. Different external agencies which act on the earth, and many of which are periodic, may be regarded as secondary causes of earthquakes. Such a fracturing along an extended zone near San Francisco is known to have occurred in conjunction with the great earthquake of April 18, 1906. A fracture extending over a length of 200 miles, from near Salinas on the south to Point Arena on the north, there is a clearly defined fault, which extends over a long-known geological fault line of even greater length, and runs in a direct line just back of San Jose and Stanford University and through the two reservoir lakes in which San Francisco stores its water supply. These latter are situated in long, deep, and narrow canyons, which are part of the great cleft, or trough, along the line of this old fault. On a relief map, this trough shows up very prominently. To the south, it is continued by a number of similar valleys. To the north, across the Golden Gate, it includes Bolinas Bay and Tomales Bay both long narrow bodies of water lying directly in line with the long narrow lakes already mentioned in the vicinity of tamales bay was the zone of greatest disturbance from the reservoir lakes led the water mains whose bursting left san francisco at the mercy of the flames south of the district affected by the earthquake the same geological fault continues for at least two hundred miles it parallels the San Benito River to its headwaters, and continues in the mountains beyond. Its southern limit is uncertain. Some claim to have traced it through southern California, 
and across the Colorado desert to Arizona. It is but one of a number of such faults in California. The long narrow valleys of the state, paralleling its straight mountain ranges, are no doubt largely due to streams following old fault lines. There are also many minor cracks. These numerous faults indicate that mountain-making forces have been in operation within recent geological times in California, and particularly in the Coast Range. Because of these numerous cracks and fissures, slight earthquakes are frequent. On the other hand, really dangerous shocks are very unlikely, as great strains cannot accumulate in rock masses so badly cracked. At some time in the dim geological past, a tremendous upheaval raised the mountain mass southwest of San Francisco. The uplift was at least 2,000 feet, perhaps more, at the fracture on the west, along the present coast line. It was rather less on the east. The fracture there was the fault line along which occurred the earthquake of last April. Doubtless many lesser uplifts and shiftings and slidings took place after that first catastrophe, but gradually the sharp edges were worn away, and the evidences of violent change were obliterated. In time, watercourses, following the rift, gouged out the straight narrow valleys so noticeable on the map. At last, only the geologists could detect the line of the old fracture. Time and the elements had healed all scars. In the south, its rolling foothills were a beautiful pasture land for peaceful herds. To the north, giant redwoods covered it. For some unknown, perhaps unknowable, reason, a slip occurred along this fault at about 5.13 a.m., Wednesday, April 18, 1906. Impelled by a tremendous force, the land to the west of the fault shifted with a sudden, rapid motion toward the north six feet in some places, eight or ten on the average, twenty in the region around Tamales Bay, cracking and twisting the soft surface, and throwing down whatever was in its way. From the line of the fracture the shock went far and wide. The displacement and readjustment was almost instantaneous, but throughout the fault the rock masses bordering it swayed and grated and ground on each other, as they settled into their new relation. Quick, sharp vibrations went out from it in all directions through the rocks. California shook as a house shakes in a heavy wind. Slower vibrations, heavier, wider, went out across the sands and soft soils of the valleys, as waves go out from a pebble thrown into a quiet pond. At new places along the fault, and weak places on other faults, there were new slippings and fractures, and from them new waves of vibrations went out, crossing the others, joining with them, jostling everything about sideways, until all the region was thrown this way and that, back and forth and across and up and down, and about, in an indescribable confusion, buffeted about like a ship in a storm, when wind and waves seemed to assail it from all sides at once. The whole earth swayed in unison. Delicate instruments thousands of miles away, in Tokyo, Potsdam, Sitka, and Washington, recorded the motion. At these faraway observatories, the instruments showed a gentle swaying back and forth, 
renewed with each new quake, three in all. But the record at Oakland shows a complex motion, which is a veritable wilderness of criss-crossings. The seesaw, it has been said, was followed by a twister. The complexity of the movements involved in the twister can be realized by attempting to make a marble and a plate traverse such a course as is shown by the earthquake signature written by the seismograph at the Shabbat Observatory. It was this twister, with its sudden jerkings and reversings and spasmodic joltings, that did the damage in the cities near the Great Fault. Along the fault itself there was a pulling apart and jamming together and destruction of fences, bridges, pipelines, trees, or whatever else happened to be in the way. In the nearby cities, whatever stood high and insecure was unbalanced by the swaying, or thrown down by the twister. In passing across the ocean bed from Muscle Rock, eight miles south of San Francisco, to Bolanus, a point on the mainland across the Golden Gate, the quake gave to San Francisco the severest shaking up it had ever had. Many things seemed to show the tremendous power of the Tembler. Yet while there were striking instances of damage to streets and buildings, such cases were notable rather than many. Apart from the damage to plaster and bric-a-brac and plate-glass show windows, and the throwing down of chimneys, the damage in every case was due to filled ground or poor construction. The houses and streets that had gone down had done so because the ground slid out from under them and the imposing structures which had collapsed had failed simply because their pretentiousness was all pretense. The city hall, the hall of justice, the girls' high school, a synagogue, a memorial temple, a fraternal hall. What a catalogue of graft! These are the structures most severely injured. South of San Francisco, the fault extends from near the town of Salinas, about one hundred miles south, to where it enters the sea at Muscle Rock, just south of the county line. Between these points it follows almost as direct a course as if laid out with a straight hedge. North of the Golden Gate it appears at Bolinas Bay, about twenty miles from Muscle Rock, and directly in line with the course of the fault, and continues as far as Point Arena, ninety miles northward, where the line followed by the fault runs out into the ocean getting further and further away from the coast. In length, this fault greatly exceeds that made by any other earthquake known to science. It is over three times as long as that of the great Japanese earthquake of 1891. Across the rolling hills and valleys between Salinas and Muscle Rock, it shows itself as a sharp crack in the earth, along which a slight dropping on the west side is apparent, or as a belt a yard or so in width of loosened in upheaved earth, in uptilted turf. A few yards away on either side are similar cracks of smaller size, where the fault meets a road or fence, or other artificial thing. The shifting of the earth is plainly seen. At Salinas the shock caused the land on one side of the river, which flows in the general direction of the fault, to slide toward the stream a distance of about six feet, thereby reducing to that extent the width of the river bottom. The Salinas Sugar Factory, an immense structure of five stories, was on the portion that moved. The tracks of the little railroad 
on which the beats are run into the works are pulled apart several feet the building itself of steel frame construction and well braced was only slightly injured the brickwork was cracked here and there and in the centre where the massive machinery prevented the placing of much cross bracing the side walls bulged slightly salinas is several miles from the fault line the steel railroad bridge across the Pajaro River, having five spans resting on concrete pillars, was directly on the line of the fault, crossing it obliquely. It affords a striking example of the power of the tembler. Here one side of the river bank moved away from the other eighteen inches. As a result, the bridge was pulled apart at one end, the concrete abutment sliding away beneath the tremendously heavy plate girders which rested upon it so far that the latter had little more than the edge to support them beyond one of the massive concrete bases of the bridge spans some fifteen feet through in either direction was cracked from side to side and the truss resting on it shifted and the whole bridge was twisted out of alignment northward the fault crosses the santa cruz mountains at loma prieta it caused landslides from both sides of the canyon and buried a lumber mill one hundred feet deep near rights it split the roof of the railroad tunnel which crossed it seven hundred feet below the surface and loosened great quantities of crushed rock also it blocked various tunnels with landslides further north the fault runs through the properties of the spring valley water company from which san francisco draws most of its water supply the great crystal springs dam of stone and concrete one of the largest in existence, was within a quarter of a mile of the line of the fault, but is wholly uninjured. The fault passed right through the old Crystal Springs Dam, which is of earth construction and divides the upper Crystal Springs Reservoir from the lower one formed by the great dam just mentioned. The shock twisted it sharply at the line, the western portion moving northward eight feet. A few miles north of Crystal Springs Reservoir, is the san andreas reservoir impounded by san andreas dam which was directly on the line of the fault this dam is artificial at each end the natural rock of a pinnacle forming a short section between luckily for the spring valley company luckily indeed for the dwellers on the lowlands below the fault line passed through the rock and not through the artificial portion and although it was badly cracked no real injury to the dam resulted the portion to the west of the fault, however, moved northward seven feet. No such luck availed, however, in the case of the company's pipelines, which afford striking evidence of the earthquake's power. For some little distance, the Pillar Cetos pipeline, thirty inches in diameter, runs almost along the fault, zigzagging across it at various angles. In places it is pulled apart the rivets shearing off as clearly as if cut with a chisel. In other places, it is buckled back sharply to right or left, forming an abrupt shoulder. In others, it is telescoped, one section upon another. At one place, the pipe is as neatly sheared across, diagonally, as a piece of soft rubber tubing would be if cut by a sharp knife. Near the head of the lakes, a pipeline crosses a canyon from side to side dropping down one hill and ascending the other. Near the bottom of the canyon, it crosses the fault line at an angle, 
like that between the arms of a capital X. It is twisted and thrust aside, as are the fences and everything else crossing the fault, but, in addition, it is telescoped in various places, a total distance of fifty-nine inches. The measurements show that the sides of the canyon are more than four feet closer together than before. Everywhere along the fault line, the fences show the same result. On both sides of the line, they have the same direction as before. But at the fault line, they are no longer continuous, the portion on the west being from six to twenty feet north of that on the east. The two parts, however, are still connected by short intervening lengths of fence that have changed their direction from east and west to north and south, roughly speaking. And strangely enough, the connecting pieces, by their buckling, twisting and overlapping, show that the ends of the displaced portions are nearer to each other than originally. The western portion, in other words, not only moved northward for several feet, and dropped somewhat, but, in addition, was thrown over toward the east as it moved, thereby jamming in tightly all the soil that lay between. In no other way is this queer result to be accounted for. North of the Spring Valley properties, the fault continues, through an open country, to Muscle Rock. Through this region, it appears usually as a sharply defined belt of criss-cross cracking in the soil, with narrower belts of the same sort a few yards away on each side. A slight dropping of the west side of the fault line is apparent, and the tilting and piling up of the turf along the line shows plainly the jamming together that accompanied the general movement. Perhaps the most striking effect produced by the shock is that to be seen in the neighborhood of Muscle Rock. The rock itself is a slight promontory rising to a height of about a hundred feet and projecting a short distance beyond the general line of the beach, a few miles south of San Francisco. Just behind it, the San Mateo Hills and in a sandy bluff, rising about five hundred feet above the beach, and continuing some miles northward. The fault line extended to and beyond this bluff, just north of Muscle Rock, and the bluff, like the last billiard ball in a row, received the whole force of the shock, without having anything to which to transmit it. As a result, that part near the fault went to pieces completely about a mile to the north of the real line of the fault. The double-track roadbed of the Ocean Shore Railroad was being graded along the side of this bluff. The sand thrown down by the earthquake completely obliterated all that had been done, and left a monster steam shovel buried, upside down, a hundred feet down the slope. This was trivial, however, as compared to the disturbance on the fault line itself. Here the whole side of the cliff for half a mile broke away with a crash and slid down the slope and toward the sea. When it had stopped, the far-flying outer portions from the base of the cliff had formed a new promontory reaching well out in the ocean, and the upper part was some two hundred feet lower than before. Cracked and contorted it was, to be sure, but in the main the surface had ridden along undisturbed on the sliding sands below and bore the same covering of underbrush as before. A cabbage patch at the top of the hill was cut in two by the slide, while part of it remained on the hilltop. 
another portion reposed unharmed some three hundred feet below and the remainder either hung on terraces near the top or was stretched out on the steep slope between the ocean soon washed away the new promontory as it was mainly soft sand but back from the beach a little valley runs down to the sea where none existed before north of the entrance to san francisco bay is the marin peninsula between the bay and the ocean the tamalpai ridge being its backbone between this ridge and the low-lying hills further west there is a narrow valley constituting an easy pass northward it runs in the direction of the fault line and in line with it at its southern end bolinas bay runs into it at the north tamales bay both long narrow inlets having the same general direction plainly at some remote period there was a subsidence through here just as in the san andreas canyon the fault line appears at the head of the bay at bolinas and extends twenty miles over the rolling ground of the valley just mentioned to the head of tide flats at the little town of olima a few miles south of tamales bay a striking example of its action appears on one of the farms there the fault line passes diagonally under a large barn and within a few feet of a house about three-quarters of the barn was west of the fault it moved as a whole more than sixteen feet without any injury except breaking the foundation joists under the other quarter the house beyond moved a like distance formerly three stately eucalyptus trees stood before the windows they are now far to one side as the fault passed between the house and the trees the former shifted and the latter remained in their old position the owner of the adjoining farm complains that the lane which ran past his barn down to his pasture has been moved so that he has to go around the corner of the barn now to get to it instead of straight ahead the road to inverness passing over the marsh at the head of tamales bay now shows a sharp reverse curve where formerly it was as straight as a string it is offset twenty feet this is the greatest amount of shifting anywhere on the fault line in this region the soil is a soft and deep alluvium and the vibrations caused by the shock were very pronounced the whole mass of soft earth trembled like jelly when the shaking was over the soil of the field settled down in its old place except along the fault line itself but the stiff surface of the roads was in some places very badly cracked a wagon bridge at olima was laid flat another at point reyes station near the head of tamales bay was arched several feet by the narrowing of tamales bay where it disappears in the soft creek it crossed a train there was overturned just as it was about to pull out for san francisco beyond tamales bay the line of the fault passes under the ocean as far as fort ross twenty-five miles above where it reappears in a country of redwood forests through these it passes about forty miles to point arena always in the same direct line in the redwood forests we find the same manifestations of power as elsewhere great trees five and six feet in diameter are thrown down twisted about by the roots or split open for as much as forty feet from the ground at point arena the fault runs down through the sand to the beach and out into the ocean how far northward it continues is not known 
as its direction takes it farther and farther away from the coast. But serious damage to the coast towns as far north as Eureka indicates that the fracture extends northward for many miles. Apart from the actual shifting and displacement of the ground along the line of the fault, the greatest damage seems to have been done several miles away from it. The houses on the Spring Valley properties were not seriously damaged by the shock. The Crystal Springs Dam seems not to have been damaged at all. At Olima, one house, a very old one, was thrown down, but others, including those nearest the fault line, were scarcely injured. The zone of greatest disturbance on the fault line itself extended from Point Reyes, 45 miles northwest of San Francisco, to Point Arena, 55 miles beyond, and Santa Rosa, 20 miles east of the fault, and directly east of this region. The damage was very severe, but two structures were left standing in the business section. In San Jose, 55 miles south of San Francisco, and 12 miles east of the fault, the shock brought down many of the most pretentious buildings, and Stanford University, seven miles from the fault, suffered severely. All these places were on the soft, sandy ground of the lowlands. At Santa Rosa, the destruction by the earthquake was almost complete. All the brick and stone buildings, except two, fell, and many of the frame structures did likewise. The tall dome of the courthouse toppled over on the roof. The National Flour Mills, a long, narrow brick building, was reduced to a pile of bricks, except at one end. The St. Rose Hotel, a four-story structure, collapsed in such a way that people walking about on its flat roof were scarcely above those in the street. To a great extent, probably, poor construction can be blamed for the damage suffered in Santa Rosa, particularly the use of mortar mixed with river sand, and with lime instead of cement. Santa Rosa, like San Francisco, suffered a devastating fire after the earthquake. Proportionately, its loss of life and property were even heavier. In San Jose, the damage by the earthquake was not as general as at Santa Rosa, although a number of important buildings were severely damaged. In some places, structures careened sideways, and in others, parts of brick and stone walls fell. The Hall of Records, a beautiful and impressive granite-walled structure, was bulged out on all sides, so that the walls had to be rebuilt. At Agnews, a few miles from San Jose, a great deal of damage was done at the State Insane Asylum. The center part of the main building, a five-story brick structure of poor design and poorer construction, fell. A hundred of the attendants and patients were killed. Serious damage was also done at Stanford University. The buildings were of peculiar and very pleasing design, patterned somewhat after the style of the missions. For the most part they were of one story, with a wide colonnade. The material in general was brick, with sandstone facing. Some of the buildings were of two and even three stories. There was a beautiful memorial chapel, with a tall spire, and also a splendid memorial arch, a rather top-heavy design. The arch was far from strong in construction, the upper portion consisting of a mere empty box, without cross-walls, and almost without bracing. The earthquake threw down the heavy box at the top, and cracked the sides of the arch badly. 
splitting off one of the corners. The heavy spire of the chapel dropped through the roof. The elaborately ornamented gable ends fell out. The library and the gymnasium, newest of Stanford's buildings, became shapeless wrecks. The dainty arched gateways at the entrance of the campus spread themselves out flat on the ground. The original buildings, erected in 1891, were practically unharmed, all but the museum, part of which was destroyed. In Oakland, Alameda, and Berkeley, across the bay from San Francisco, the damage was comparatively slight. Some chimneys fell. Some buildings in Oakland were damaged by the tumbling away of part of their walls. A church lost a large part of its box-like tower. A little theater collapsed, killing five people. Some old, ramshackle buildings telescoped. Here again, it was the old story of decrepitude or poor construction. Other cities equally near the fault line suffered very little. Petaluma and San Rafael, while much nearer the fault line than Santa Rosa, experienced a much less severe shaking. Santa Cruz, at the same distance from the line as Salinas, suffered very slight injury. It would seem that the comparative immunity of these cities was due to their being on rocky ground, while the places more severely damaged were on the looser soil of the valleys. San Francisco was partly on sand and partly on rock. Various degrees of damage resulted. Of itself the earthquake did not do much damage there. It was in its indirect results that it was so terrible, for it snapped every pipe bringing water into the city and started fires everywhere. End of Section 3 Recording by Greg Giordano Newport Ritchie, Florida